Hey there, this is Angel Donovan with episode 74 of Dating Skills Podcast. Great to be here. Today we're looking at the theme of selecting women and finishing with women. This means selecting the right women and finishing with the right women, or more to the point, finishing with the wrong women so we can move on with our lives and not sliding into relationships without really thinking about it, just something that happens on the emotional wave that's going on at the time and realizing a little bit later this girl isn't right for you which is, I have to say, something extremely common and that every single one of my buddies, no matter how expert he is or how long he's been doing this or how many relationships he's had, has happened to him at some point, okay? So if it hasn't happened to you, that's unusual and it's probably going to happen at some point uh, that you choose either the wrong woman for you and you spend perhaps a bit too long in that relationship rather than finishing it. This is an extremely interesting topic and a challenging topic, I think. Personally, some of my biggest mistakes have been staying with the wrong women or selecting the wrong women, perhaps not finishing with them quick enough. Over the years, I've got much better at that, but it's really through the pain of my errors that I learned to do that and do it faster and finish when necessary and take my time and perhaps be a bit better at judging when a woman was right for me and not. And we're going to have a really interesting discussion today about this. Uh, the guy who's going to join us is Jesse Owen, PhD, Dr. Owen. And besides all of his academic credentials that will come across, clearly he understands this from a broad uh, array of different perspectives. And I think we have a really great conversation about this, bringing my experience joining with his ac academic and his psychotherapy experience in doing therapy with couples and relationships. And sometimes telling them, hey, it's actually the best outcome that you can hope for right now is to finish this. This is going to be the best. And I think that's really interesting that he's done a lot of that. What's interesting about Jesse is that besides the fact that he's doing academic research, he's another scientist, we've had quite a few on recently. He's also in there on the ground doing clinical therapy at the same time because he basically founded and he headed up this uh, lab, which they call the Relationship and Psychotherapy Lab at the University of Louisville. The lab is focused on both research and clinical work. So they have therapists, himself a licensed uh, psychotherapist, who work with couples and try to resolve or try to figure out why isn't it working? Should we use therapy so that they can get closer and they can fix this? Or are they, in fact, not suited to each other and they should have never really got together? And the best outcome right now is really that we can finish this relationship and help them get past that, help them get to that point where they can finish. Because we've all probably had those girlfriends or those relationships where we knew it wasn't quite right for us. Maybe it wasn't the best thing for us, but there was this passion side or this other part of it, which kind of kept us stuck in there. I know my first ever relationship when I was like 17, 21, was a four-year relationship. We would fight. It was a crazy passionate relationship. And, you know, we'd break up, get back together, break up, get back together. Yeah, what a mess. And But we couldn't get away from each other at the same time. Of course, that's something that happens often in our youth. And over time, as we get more experience and we get older, hopefully we get better at that, but not necessarily. So today we're going to be thinking about some tools and some ways to look at this. So that the way you approach getting into relationships and the way that you approach finishing relationships can be better and lead to greater satisfaction for both you and the girl, ideally. So that's coming up in a second. Before we get into this episode's content and meeting this guest, I just want to go over a couple of things that we're going to add to the podcast and I'm kind of excited about them. The first thing is giving you a look into the stuff that I'm up to a bit more. 
So the fact is that I'm still on this journey. Maybe I've been through this for you know nearly 15 years now, and I've done a fair amount of stuff. And from a lot of people's perspectives, maybe they think everything's solved for me. But the fact is that it never stops. You keep on working on yourself because this journey kind of takes you higher and higher. So I wanted to give you a bit of an insight into this journey and how it doesn't stop by showing you the kind of stuff I'm up to. So for example, the next couple of months while I'm in LA, I'm going to be attending some workshops and I'm going to be doing some things like that because I'm interested in expanding myself and improving. And there's a couple of things I wanted to do for quite a while, but I wasn't in the right place. And LA right now, it's the right place and it's the right time. I have some time to be able to do it. So a couple of things I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing OM, orgasmic meditation, if you guys have heard of that. And I'm going to be also hitting up a David Dieter workshop. David Dieter doesn't actually do those anymore. Um, for those guys who don't know David Dieter, he was he was the original guy behind a lot of the masculine sexuality kind of material that has come about. He was like kind of one of the original guys who wrote about that and did seminars on that. He doesn't really do that now, but the girl who's kind of followed in his footsteps she does that, so I'm going to be attending one of her workshops to see what that's all about. And I'm going to take you guys and walk you through that and give you a little bit of an eye-opener, like, like what did I learn from it, uh, how was it, and what, what was the experience like. So hopefully you can see that like this journey, it's really worth keep on developing, and you'll see the kind of stuff that I'm interested in and how it just goes on and on, and we get better and better and happier and happier with this stuff. The other thing we're going to be adding is Q&A episodes. That's like these short little episodes we're going to try for a while with me and Jackson Hunter. He's one of the editors who's worked for us for quite a long time and I've known him personally for like 15 years now. And uh, we're going to be answering some of your questions. And the way to get your question, if you have a question, no matter what it is, and I know many of you have questions because I get them in my email all the time. And I apologize if, I, if you've sent me one and I haven't got back to you by email. The fact is, that it's crazy, you know, the amount of email and everything else that's going on. So this is our way of being able to kind of structure it so that we can answer your questions. And if you do want to send in a question, the way you can do that is by going to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter. And you'll simply pop your email in there and you'll get an email straight back, which will have a voicemail number in it. And when you call that voicemail number, you just leave a message with your question and we'll use those questions from that voicemail service. It's basically our voicemail at the uh, podcast that uh, we'll use those questions and we'll answer them in the podcast. And hopefully that's going to be really helpful to you. We're going to start a discussion, kind of a flow going backwards and forwards between you guys and us. And that's the kind of experience I want to engineer here. You know, there's a bit more interaction going on so that we can make sure that we're helping you as much as possible. That's what that's about. Finally, the show notes, the links to everything we talk about in today's show and the full transcript. You can get all of those at datingskillsreview.com forward slash DSP74. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships. To become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step by step, episode by episode.
Hi, Jesse. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. No problem. So you're one of many scientists to come on to the show. Uh, and as we're starting to learn, there's many different types of scientists. It's not just one big, big group of scientists with one focus, one set of ideas and so on. So can you give us an, up, an idea of where you're coming from? What's your perspective and how you approach this whole subject of dating, sex and relationships? Yeah, so I'm a psychologist trained in the United States. Um, I'm currently an associate professor at the University of Denver. And my main focus is to understand the process of how people date and understand all the dynamics and all the different kinds of relationships that are out there to help people have better relationships and better sex. Great, great. So how would you compare this to, for example, evolutionary biology or evolutionary psychology, what you do? Yeah, so the evolutionary folks take a look at processes that, that typically are founded in evolutionary concepts. So the idea that men and women have certain societal roles, and some of those societal roles are based on evolution. I really take a focus on a more social constructed narrative where people's roles and how they know things is based on influences of their family, influences of society, and the messages that they receive. And of course, there's some evolutionary aspect to some of these things, but I'm more interested in those individual differences that get people to think differently, get people's decisions, where we can influence people's decisions. So we can, for instance, do therapy or do relationship education or coaching and help folks make better decisions for their lives. And I think to me, that's that's one good clear difference where we're talking about social norms. For instance, like what is it? what are the social norms about what it means to be a man or be a woman versus what does evolution say about what does it mean to be a man or be a woman? Um, right, so you're, so you're at the nurture end of it you want to understand like how we're formed by the context of society and what's going on so these are things actually which we can control and improve about society more easily than our biologies of course so you're more interested in these things that we could possibly improve on and to improve relationships and so on about education and all these kind of aspects of society is that correct yeah absolutely great great yeah that's a good idea we're of course very practical here that sounds like a great perspective for us you know things that are actionable that maybe we can also understand from our from our past and so uh also could you just give us a quick contest on your personal background like where you're at your stage of dating sex and relationships in your life are you married or where are you up to in your life yeah for sure i'm uh i'm 38 years old i am uh, currently single uh was in a long-term relationship for a while and uh, recently that ended I've had long-term relationships in the past. I don't have any children or haven't, I've never been married, but that's my history. My mom is from Malaysia and my dad is from the States. And so I have a little bit of the bicultural, biracial element to my perspectives as well. Okay, great. So, I mean, out of interest, what kind of cultural perspective do you bring to it? And also in terms of your work in science, has that influenced uh, the way you look at relationships at all in your life? Yeah, yeah. So the, for the cultural angles for me is trying to understand different social norms nested within cultures. So when we think about what it means to be a man and what messages those societal messages come down, are we talking about just white men? Are we talking about men from different countries? How does this how does this play out? And what are the different statements and messages people are hearing? And it's culturally specific. So what it means to be a black man in America is very different than what it means to be a white man in America. And so it, and those two things are very different than if you go over to Malaysia and understand what those different cultural messages and what is being said. And I'll give you a practical example here. Is it okay to be a 38-year-old person and not be married? Well, <laughs> in some form, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. 
But there's clearly some cultures that my mom definitely love me to be married right now and have some kids. And so she could be a grandparent. And I think that message, whereas my dad is like, well, I want you to be happy and do what you want to do. And so I think there's a little bit of a cultural difference that we can see. And I think people can share those stories <laughs> quite right, heavily. Right. There does seem to be more pressure from mothers from that perspective. If you talk to everyone, everyone gets pressures from their mothers until your mothers give up. Mine, my mom gave up a while back. Um, so um, I'm, fr- I'm, I'm happily free now. <laughs> but the, the interesting cultural spin was like my mom would say, we have relatives back in Malaysia, we could do an arranged marriage. And those kinds of statements, I think, adds a different kind of also cultural context to the understanding, you know, kind of the different pressures and knowing that that's much more real for some folks. And I think my mom was joking, but I'm not sure if she really was. Yeah, right, right. What would be your advice to someone? Because I'm sure we have listeners on the show that have these kinds of pressures, whether it be cultural or whether it just be, you know, their mothers and fathers are putting this kind of marriage pressure on them. What would be your advice to them about that? Well, I think for me, the, the main advice is to listen to what, what they're really saying. That they, they love, most parents love their kids so much and they see relationships as being a key source of joy. And I think that's what they're really wanting. They're wanting their kids to be happy. And just to hear that message versus the the potentially like nagging message of why aren't you like this, um, which isn't can be part of the message, but it's I think a little bit more nestled within a sense of love and security that parents just want their kids to be happy and secure, and relationships can be that for a lot of folks. But but I also don't want people to feel pressured into getting into a relationship just because of social norms or social zeitgeist of making sure that everybody's in a relationship. But I don't think that's a good strategy either. Right. We're all individuals and we find our own path. And um, I certainly started out as a serial relationship guy from the age of 17 to about uh, 28. I was constantly in a relationship. I'd finish one, jump into another one immediately. And I'm sure that was mostly societal, just what I was supposed to do. I had never thought about it until that age. Um, and I've been way happier since I started thinking more about it. So I, I think the message here is to think about yourself and understand where your parents are coming from. Because they grew up in a generation when everyone just had relationships and no one thought about it. And for them, happiness has been based on that. Like you say, they want you to be happy and they, they only have their own experiences to go by. So most of them haven't experienced anything apart from a relationship to be happy. So they're going to try and push that on you. I would say some some cultures seem to have more of a societal status concern. Uh, I lived in Asia for a while and like in, in China and places like that, some of my ex-girlfriends have got a tremendous amount of pressure to get married and even close to getting kicked out of the family. Um, if they didn't, one of the girls, she decided right at the last minute that she couldn't go through with a marriage because it just wasn't her. She's very independent, unusual for a, a Chinese girl. She decided last minute she couldn't go through with it for her own happiness. And, you know, she's had a lot of problems with her family because they lost face with all of the rest of the family, with society. So I'm sure that goes on to a certain extent as well. I don't know if you've looked into that in terms of research. I have not, but I, I, I think that story is not uncommon by any means. Hmm. Yeah. So to just to realize that that's just an, a dynamic and uh, that's not, I don't think that's something you should take into consideration. For me, it's not something what other people think should not factor into the kind of decisions you're making about your own happiness. Um, but you should understand that some people, just because of where they've grown up and like the generation and the culture, they're going to put a lot of emphasis on what other people are thinking and, you know, that kind of background. I think that's definitely true. 
I also kind of worry that people sacrifice their own values and what they want in relationships because of that pressure. And I don't think that's very useful to settling is a tough term, but you know, there's certain compromises that everybody makes in relationships. But like, if you're settling on some of your core values, that's not a good thing. And I hope people aren't feeling pressured out there to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So one of the topics we wanted to cover today was a little bit about this settling dynamic. I know that a lot of your research has focused on the decisions to stay in relationships versus not and how those come about and the context where it's a good thing and where it's a bad thing and where the end result is a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy relationship. So could you give us a quick overview of where your research started into this area? Yeah, so I really got interested in this idea of commitment and wondering what commitment looks like and how do people make decisions about committing or not committing. Um, and there's a lot of good commitment, which we called like dedication, where statements like, yeah, I can see myself with this person for the next 10 years. Or, you know, you hear it with couples when they start talking about themselves as we, uh, we did this this weekend. So that we language or that couple identity becomes stronger. Uh, and, and so it's those the one to sacrifice for your partner. Those are the good things about commitment. But there's, and those are the things that like, if you see that in a relationship and you feel that in a relationship, that, those are the things that we want to obviously promote. The, the other side of the commitment is this constraint commitment, where these are the things that aren't necessarily bad, but can get people stuck, like buying a, buying a house together, or giving even a lease together, or buying a dog together, or even just the tangible things of like, yeah, I put so much time and energy, you know, we kind of bought. I bought this for you, we've been together for three years, or whatever those kind of constraints are, uh, those are the things that kind of get people stuck and feeling like, I would get out of this, but it's costly to, to leave. And those are, the pe- those, those are the places that I think we have the biggest capacity to help people make better decisions and figure out what, what are they really afraid of, and what are those things that they need to do to make those decisions. And so... Honestly, we can think about the people who feel stuck in a relationship they want to get out of. But I also wonder about the process to getting to that point. And we've been thinking about this idea of sliding versus deciding, and that some people just slide into relationships, don't really think too much about the steps, whereas other people have clear conversations with their partner and clear discussions about where the steps in the relationship are going. And so a, a classic example from my clinical practice is that I was working with a couple where they didn't even know they were living together until it came up in therapy. Uh, so this guy, basically, he was living with some roommates, and he was slowly moving his stuff over to his girlfriend's place. And like a lot of couples, you know, they spend a lot of nights together. And then his lease ran out, and he never redid his lease. And so he just ended up staying every night there. And then during therapy, she's like, well, why don't you just go back to your own place for the next week? And he's like, oh, I don't have a place anymore. And like just her eyes of like, holy crap, how did we get to this point? A classic sliding move and uh, and ultimately very, very difficult for them to end up separating. And um, luckily we were able to work on some strategies to, to get that to that point. But like, that's a really bad setup of sliding into a relationship and not making good decisions along the way. And so, so that's, the, that's the key piece. And so what we want couples to do is to think about, and this is true for hooking up or other types of relationships as well, is just make sure that you're clear about what you want and what you think the outcome is going to be before you get into that situation. 
And so it's not necessarily about being overly deliberate or too analytical for every single thing in the relationship. But there's some clear big steps that people take, like deciding to have sex with somebody or moving in with somebody or even deciding to be in an official relationship with somebody that should really have some clear decision-making points there. Right, right. I want to bring up a couple of scenarios which we see a lot with guys which really fit into this. We very, very often see guys who don't have a lot of experience with women, like maybe they've never had a girlfriend or maybe they've had just one or two, and they'll meet a girl that they like, maybe on a scale of one to 10 in terms of liking her. It's like a seven or even probably about a seven, so it's pretty good, but it's it's not, you know, it's nowhere near kind of like an ideal 10 or anything like that. But it's also the first scenario where he's come up with something that was good enough to go with it. Um, and we very, very often seen, because what will happen is like, we'll start teaching them stuff. They'll start learning some stuff about how relationships work. And it's like the first time they get a bit of luck in the process. They learn a few things about communication and so on and these things, and they get their first uh, chance at luck. And they meet a girl and, and finally there's a girl that likes you and that you think she's pretty nice too. Although she's pretty still far off from what you're really looking for in life and you maybe haven't thought about it this much at this stage because you've been so concerned about not being able to meet women or women not being attracted to you that you've never actually considered what you really, really want about it because you've kind of had these insecurities and things that you had to get over first. So a lot of guys will kind of jump straight into a relationship head first at that point. Nearly every single time, uh, they'll come back to us in six months, three months time. And that relationship would have worked out really badly. It just wasn't a very healthy relationship. It just didn't work out. Or pretty soon, the things he didn't learn about relationships started working against him and the girl left him. Or he realized the girl was not actually anything to do with actually what he really wanted. So what we're always trying to get guys to do is like say, calm down. Like you're just kind of getting the first bit of luck, but let's get a bit of dating experience to find out what you want in life and to, you know, kind of understand what the options are and not jump on these insecurities, basically. The fact that this is our first break in this area of our lives and jump all over it. Is that something you've seen before? And it's a very emotional event for these guys' lives when it's like the first time that they got this bit of luck with women and it's working out. And I struggle with how to communicate with them to hold back a bit in a way that they're actually going to accept and kind of take in and, and think about it a bit. I can see that, especially once you get some, in the initial dating process with somebody who, like, like you were saying, like is a seven, it's very exciting. And like, so now you're not only excited, but you also have the, the cloud of the physicalness and everything else that definitely clouds the decision-making process. I guess for me, when I hear stories like that, I always think about the idea of, did you do enough exploration of who you are as a person before you started dating? Um, because confidence is sexy. And I think that translates to being like, if I'm confident about myself, I'm going to take the time to make sure I'm doing this right and making sure that I'm not jumping into the relationship like after two dates, being like, oh, are we boyfriend, girlfriend now? Or are we a thing now? That defining the relationship talk take, should take some time. Really try to put out some of these things of like, is this true to my values? Is this person really connected? Are we having fun? Is this the type of person that I can really see myself being with? And so I, I think it's about trying to get people to slow down. And I think some people just don't want to because, like you said, you know, it's the first time that they had a little bit of luck in the dating process, and, and that's challenging. I think if they do more work on the front end of really exploring their values and having a clear bottom line of, like, okay, if this is – if I see this, 
I'm not going to put up with this. This is not something I'm going to be okay with. And so we always, I always hear individuals and, and couples talk about, oh, this is a testing phase, um, or I'm gonna, we're going to test things out. I think that's maybe a good mentality, but unless you know what's a passing score on the test, failing score, then you're just putting somebody through the ringer for no good, no good reason. And so having a clear bottom line is that failing grade. Yeah. I think the word you used earlier, sliding, is a great word because basically people may think that I'm just going to try out this relationship with this girl because it's mostly guys listening to this podcast. But as you say, they don't have any fixed criteria yet because based on one thing, they don't really know who they are. Because if you don't know who you are, if you, if you don't know what you value in life, it's very hard to have any boundaries about what's right, what's wrong. So you won't know what to judge the relationship on. Like, this is what I like in relationships. This is what I don't like. This is what's going to be healthy. This is what's going to be interesting for me. This is going to, what's going to work. All of these things about boundaries, until you actually know who you are and you've explored your own side, you know, you have some self-awareness and you've explored your own life and know what you want, then you can't set boundaries with other people. It's just kind of impossible. If you have this kind of fluffy, flexible idea of who you are and what you want and what you're doing in life, it's impossible to set your boundaries with other people because you're evolving just on, on a day-to-day -day basis um, to actually start governing the outside relationships as well. It's a whole nother level. And so when you get into this uh, relationship and you don't have a fixed idea, like you're saying, of boundaries, and it's going to slide because of the emotions, the passion, it's going to probably slide into a relationship more likely than not just because of the way oxytocin, dopamine, and, and these things kind of work. You may feel like you're going through this testing phase, but actually you're not. You're just letting your emotions and, and the hormones decide. And they're most likely going to just push you straight into a relationship. If you're having sex, it's going to push you into a relationship. Our bodies like sex and that's the direction it's going to push us. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's that the sliding piece and that you will slide into a relationship sooner or later. And I think the weird piece about some of this is that there's messages out there like, just take it easy, go flow, you know, be chill, just do whatever, you'll figure it out. And those messages are good to like lower people's anxieties, but there should be a counter message of like, yeah, when you're on a date, be chill. When you're like in this process, it's not like you're interviewing somebody, but it's also a chance for you to like explore topics with another person and see if your values are connecting. Because a lot of the other stuff can work itself out. You know, you can get better communication. You can do some of these things. But if your values are not aligned, that's a clear early warning sign that we know just is a great predictor of breaking up and separation and divorce. And those things will come back. Like if you don't want kids, the person that you're with wants kids, like, you know, you need to think about some of these things. I mean, obviously, depending on how old you are, but like, you know, some of these decisions are huge decisions that people need to be thinking about. And like, where do I really stand on this issue? It goes deeper than... Like, do you like Applebee's or Chili's? You need to really get clear on who you really are and what you really believe. Right. Have you got any ideas or, or suggestions or anything that's come out of the research in terms of how people can pre-prepare? Because we're always talking about how guys need more dating experience, but you've also brought up the equally interesting and important topic of like exploring ourselves so we can define that before we actually start dating so that the whole process becomes easier. Have you got any ideas or anything that's come out of research in terms of actions we can take to start exploring and developing ourselves? Yeah, so 
Uh, one of the programs that I've run for, for years is a program where it, it's talking really about like deep values and expectations that you have. And those expectations are going to be a little bit different for each person. But one way and one strategy that's kind of fun and kind of interesting is thinking about societal things that are happening every day and thinking about where do I, where do I take a stand on this issue? You know, you think about things of like abortion, right? Like it's a really tricky topic for a lot of folks, but it's, an, it's a clear value-based statement that's broader than abortion, right? So those types of things, like how do you feel about immigration? How do you feel about, uh, you know, gay rights? These types of things will help you get in touch with, like, what do I really believe on this topic? And not just be a passive observer of these kind of societal things that are going on, but, like, using those moments to reflect on, like, if I was charged, what would I have to, where would I place my vote? And where would I, if I had to give a speech on this or a TED talk, like, what would I say in those minutes about this? Because those are the values that people care about. And those are the things that happen in society that trickle down to us. Um, and so obviously certain things are going to be more important to some folks than others. So it's difficult to give a clear blueprint for which values you should explore. But that's an avenue in and an easy avenue and to start reflecting on like when you're reading the news, when you're watching the news, have a discussion with people and talk about like what are your values about these things, your perspective and what do you believe. And that will actually make you probably a deeper person on dates too. Obviously not that you should be talking about abortion on <laughs> on a first or second date by any means, but like it'll just make you more informed about where you actually come from and what stance you actually take on some of these things. Asking questions about abortion on the first date uh, probably isn't a great idea. However, I do think that people shy away from these topics and sometimes the advice given to them is to shy away from topics that are philosophical or important to them and to keep it very light. And I think you can actually do both at the same time. You can mix up light and serious conversation. And this is the ideal when you're looking for a relationship. Uh, probably not in your 20s like when you know when you're in your early 20s and, and you're just exploring relationships and if you can keep it very light but when you start to get to that point where you're looking for a relationship um, when it's kind of that time in your life and you're looking for things that are more important I'll give you an example like tinder is supposed to be a very casual um, app right and it's very light and everything but I met a girl on there yesterday and spoke to her this morning and the second question I asked her was a deep philosophical question about her life because I don't want to waste my time <laughs> um, I feel very comfortable with that and I know it works and it's fine I'm just saying like the advice normally is not to do that kind of thing but you can make a joke of it and like so you just say like I just want to get all the deep philosophical questions out of the way right now right and she, you know she'll laugh and then she'll answer the question and then you got really important information whether you want to continue or not and invest more time in this, right? So she answered the questions correctly and I'm meeting up with her tomorrow morning, right? So, yeah, I'm able to qualify and find out if someone's interesting to me um, by asking those questions versus some of the dating advice out there is just like, keep it light. So you'll keep it light, you'll meet up with her tomorrow or sometime later in the week and there's, you know, this time investment, there's stuff going on and you could go on that date and maybe it would be a waste of time or maybe if you're not thinking about it enough, you would just start sliding into something, right? Because you'd be afraid of asking the questions on the date as well. And I think most people have this attitude where they're kind of afraid. Men more than women, I would say. A lot of women will ask you questions because for, for them, they're really concerned about the relationship aspect, but guys don't tend to do this so much. I don't know if any research addresses that. It's interesting. In some of the... Uh research that we've done, it, it seems like women are more likely to say that they want a conversation or hope to have a conversation about deeper stuff. Where's this going? Um, 
Is this really a thing? Those kinds of elements that are that speak to what you're talking about in terms of the philosophical, deeper connection type of statements that we find in our research, more so than men. Um, and so when they want this information, they're more likely to ask questions. I think the biggest uh, mistake that I've seen in my clinical practice is guys just talk about themselves way too much and forget that, like, it's good to talk about things. It's good to talk about stuff, but like at some point in time, you have to talk about really who you are. And I think some of these philosophical questions get to that. Who are you really? And what do you really believe? And uh, I don't care about your job, but what is it about your job that makes you passionate about it is a very different question. Yeah. Classical mistakes from guys are talking about cars, uh, money, jobs, all this stuff that is of no interest to anyone. Um, and actually, I find on a social level, people are more aware of that. This used to be like advice we would give out, and it wasn't so socially well known. But I'm finding more and more people are just aware of this. They're like, it's so boring when people talk about this stuff. So I think this is a, the level of social consciousness on that angle has actually been increasing vastly over the last 10 years. Yeah, and I also think that there's a way to get into some of these topics, right? Like one of the things that I encourage my clients to to start out conversations with if they're having trouble finding conversations is, you know, with Netflix and Hulu and all these other things, like people TV binge more than ever. And it's really interesting to see what shows people like. You can start there, but then it's like, why do you like this character? What is it about you that makes you like certain characters? And I think some of that, those questions can then turn into more of a philosophical conversation that's spawned by something pretty light, like Dexter. Yeah. That's a, good, that's a good point. That's a good point because, you know, everyone watches some TV, Game of Thrones or whatever. Is there anyone who doesn't watch you know, Game of Thrones? We were just talking about that last <laughs> night. We, we managed to find some one of our buddies who hasn't seen Game of Thrones and uh, we were abusing him for <laughs> it. Um, so, yeah, you could do that kind of thing. And then like, um, and he was even aware of some of the characters. It's so funny because it's over Facebook and they're everywhere. And so he was aware of a lot of the stuff, but had never that's actually so watched funny. it. So, yeah, that is a great angle um, into understanding someone, what kind of shows they like which are the characters, and then you can bring in these conversations where you understand a bit more what motivates them because they like one character or not and why and so on. And not to be afraid of starting those kind of conversations. And especially to, to start thinking about it yourself too, to make sure that you know <laughs> who you <laughs> Why is it that you like these people? And like, do you identify with Dexter because he's a serial killer or do you identify with him because he's aloof and slightly introspective? You know, like those very different answers there. So we're talking a lot about the topic of thinking uh, about dating and relationships, basically. I feel like a lot of people don't think about what they want in this area. Uh, is there anything in your research that looks at that is in how many people actually bother to think or it occurs to them that they should think about what they want and these kind of things like why I like X character and does this mean anything for my relationship interests and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, one of our classic studies is that we found that people who think more in their relationships about um, kind of the steps along the way are less likely to end up in situations where they commit infidelity or they're in relationships where there is infidelity. And so when we think about that, that's a really interesting place because I, my guess is that people who slide into relationships and feel stuck have no investment in that person over time. And if you play this about 10, 15 years, that's a long time. And you can think about all the constraints in the world that will get you to that point. That's very interesting. So the more you think, the less likely you are to get into infidelity. Does that work both ways? The less likely your partner is to... That we don't know. Uh, but my guess would be probably yes, because these are probably qualitatively different relationships. 
where people are actually invested in a different way because they've thought about it from the get-go. Yeah. We've had previous discussions on this show about the fact that infidelity often kind of follows people. And there's people who tend, so that kind of fits with your theory. If people have a tendency not to think about their relationships, then it's going to happen again and again and again. And that's certainly a pattern that I've seen. It's a big warning red flag for me. Um, like if I start a relationship and the girl starts with infidelity, my last relationship actually started like that, not on purpose, but it was kind of a red flag the way she dealt with it afterwards. Not so much the fact that it happened because stuff like that happens, you know, you meet someone new and there's sparks that fly and she decided she liked me more, whatever, that stuff happens in life. But the way you deal with it, I think, can give you a lot of signs. And it, when you learn about their past and if it's happened before and stuff like that. And it's maybe this this thinking aspect. And what was interesting about that was I was thinking really, really hard. And she was kind of like, let's just go over the flow. Like you were saying earlier, like, let's go over the flow. Let's take it casual. And she was accusing me of being too serious about it because I take my time very seriously. And she was putting a lot of pressure on me and even trying to shame me a little bit into relaxing about it and not qualifying her so much and making the decision so early. Um, whereas yeah, I think the right thing, like to stand up, you should stand up for yourself. If someone's saying like, hey, chill out, it's going to be fine, right? Because I think this happens in relationships as well. And you've got to stand up for what you want. If you want to take it seriously, take it seriously. If it's a time in your life where you don't want to put extra time investment and things into relationships or that you're really concerned about them making the right choice, then don't let someone push you or kind of cajole you into it. Or just like the way they're talking, like saying, hey, man, just chill out. It's going to be fine. Um, and I think guys are guilty of doing this to women more than women are doing it to men in general. I think especially for the physicalness, too. I mean, I think how people end up you know, being like, oh, it's cool. We'll just chill out. Have another drink. Right? And so have another drink is like code for slide into some, some bad decisions. Because I've never like seen any company be like, you know, we have to make some pretty important decisions for our company. Let's go out and drink. That just doesn't happen. Nobody really says, let's it doesn't make good decisions while drunk. And and that's why like starting the night or starting whatever you're doing with the thought of like how this could end is probably a good thing. Yeah. We were just talking uh, I was with a whole bunch of dating coaches yesterday and uh, we were talking about how none of the best relationships have ever started in bars and clubs. <laughs> Our industry has put a lot of focus on bars and clubs, but if you talk to the guys, that's normally not where their longer-term relationships actually started. Yeah, I even think, um, you know, there's a lot of dating sites out there. And, I mean, you mentioned Tinder before and all these different avenues to meet people, which I think is just fantastic and it can be very helpful. But I also think that there's something that lost by just looking at everything online. And so you can, you can see all the points of compatibility and all those other things. But the conversation that tends to happen when you're talking about are we compatible or not is a very different conversation than are you a Democrat or Republican. Or, but how did you get to be a Democrat or Republican? It's probably a much more interesting story. Yes, exactly. I think a really good way to approach this is I ask girls for their story right? Well, what's the story? How did, how did you get there? What is the event that, uh, so the girl this morning, she's just decided to travel away for a year and she's making some really, really big decisions in her life. So I'm like, that's really interesting. Like what drove you to that, right? It's a story. The stories is what interesting. Um, and it, and it tells you a lot more than the fact she's, she's doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of the decision-making process, right? Is to not look at one piece of information and think that that's the story. And I think that's the piece that some the ease of information now, you can Google anybody and get 100 pieces of information. But to make sure that that's not overly clouding your judgment, too, to make sure that you hear what that story is, probably much interesting. Yeah. So another point I wanted to make, I think something else, we're talking about 
basically, it's kind of like qualifying people, asking more questions about them when you're getting to know them. And I think one of the concerns that guys have is because they're normally pushing, like when a guy likes her, he, he's normally pushing her to get into a relationship. So he's kind of going the other way and he's not asking the questions and, he, and he's pushing. This is interesting from an attraction perspective also, because if he's doing that, he's more likely to push her away just because it puts more pressure on her and pressure tends to push people away. And there's, there's other factors into it. We've discussed many times on the show before. Whereas what we're talking about now, I think really hardly ever can hurt the relationship and the dynamic. Guys will have this fear of asking these kind of questions when they're getting into it because it maybe it'll raise conflictual issues or whatever. But um, I think it has completely the opposite effect, basically, in terms of the attraction. It can just like increase it. People see you have standards and so on. I don't know if you've got any perspective or research behind that. Yeah, I don't have research, but just anecdotally, the, the thing that I hear a lot from folks when I, for, I do a lot of couples therapy, and I say, like, when was that moment or when did you guys know that you guys were going to be a couple? And the stories that you hear, it's typically after, like, you know, we spent all night getting to know each other. Like, we actually talked about XYZ and and it's never like I just saw her walk in the room like the cliche movies. It's generally like he opened up his mouth and said something smart and was passionate about it. And passion is a like the most underrated, I think, attraction mechanism for daters. Like be passionate about something. Who cares if it's darts or if it's your job or if it's charitable work, like just passionate and people will gravitate towards that. You know, I think you bring up a very important thing. Like we often talk about standards and raising your standards, not settling for something you want. And I think you've just introduced a very good standard. A lot of guys, like you said, they've seen a movie and you fall in love at first sight. And that's a very low standard. It's just like, she looks hot. <laughs> it's like, that happens all the time, guys. It's not, like nothing special. You know, you see a hot woman across the room, you're like, mm, she's hot, right? Um, but if you have a conversation that goes all night and you, you guys don't fall asleep, and this has happened many times in, in my life, and I think it's a shame that for many guys, they kind of think that that's not accessible. You meet a girl and you guys just want to talk the whole night. You don't sleep the whole night. You, you talk through to dawn. Um, and it's this amazing experience. That's a standard because that doesn't happen all the time. Um, but it happens a lot if you're looking for it. And that's the point. If you open your eyes and you start looking for it, it's going to happen way more and you're going to give yourself the opportunity for, for it to happen. So I'm glad you brought that up because that, that for me is like a, a good standard. If you can do that and that happens, it's like, wow, this is an interesting person. This is a person you really connect with. Yeah, and I think if you're just looking for somebody who you're attracted to and that's your standard, that's such a low standard because you're going to see that all the time. I mean, yep. all yep. the time. Um, absolutely. Okay, so we talked a lot about this. I know there's a couple of other issues we wanted to talk about. I think we go way deeper on this, but um, I'd like to touch on the other things as well. One of the topics we talked about addressing is that you've looked at uh, things called microaggressions in some women's studies. Could you give us a, a few examples of what microaggressions are and what those studies are about? Yeah, microaggressions just in general are invalidations or put-downs or insults that may actually sound good or sound positive in some way, but it really sends a secondary message. So, for instance, um, if you're talking to a woman and you say, wow, you look really good today, that's, that's a compliment, yes, but at the same time, unless you really know that person, you're also saying your looks are more important than anything else. Or the societal messages that say, oh, women should care more about relationships and being relationships. And so women will get messages of like, it's great that you have a job, but oh, do you have any kids? And so it's the message of like, oh, your work is secondary to the, your ability to raise kids. Um, and a lot of these types of messages are even more subtle than that. It's you know, when women are walking down the street 
Are you looking at their face or are you looking at their body? And those types of little, again, micro moments can have a large impact on, on women. There's a, a great study about how much women feel that men in particular, but other people just look at their bodies versus their face and actually care about who they are. And it, it shows that it relates to body image issues. It relates to their well-being. And so these types of even subtle messages uh, are really clear indications of how we can even in a benevolent way send the wrong message. Yeah. To connect with that, I used to teach uh, uh, boot camps in clubs and stuff. So I used to take guys into clubs. This is like over 10 years ago now. And one of the biggest things that guys would do to bomb their chances is um, this very bad habit. They would walk up to a girl, start talking to her and look down at her boobs and then look back up her face or, or basically look her up and down. And um, it was interesting that you were doing this and they wouldn't even realize they were doing it and they would find it hard to do as well. But the second they did that, the girl would lose interest. And I'm not sure the girl even knew why she was losing interest, but from your perspective, right, it's this judgment that you're not interested in, in me. And like many women, of course, aren't, aren't just looking at someone to look at them sexually. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that the subtlety in the glances, especially on the interpersonal connection, when you're trying to talk to somebody and you're spending more time just like with your eyes roaming, that's sending a clear message of like, I don't care what you're saying and uh, care more about what could happen later. Uh, which may be a true statement, but it's not a very useful one if, you're, if your goal is really to connect. So there's this big noise at the moment on the internet and pretty much everywhere. It's kind of a big dating event at the moment. There's this uh, coach called uh, Julian Blanc from uh, Real Social Dynamics who's been in pretty much all the newspapers um, in a very negative light for the stuff he's teaching guys and, and for the stuff he's taught in seminars. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because it's a it's a big topic at the moment. And I'm sure there's guys out there in the audience who have uh, seen some of the noise about it. And I understand that there's two ways people are responding to this. I'm getting hate mail. We have nothing to do with <laughs> Julien Blanc. We've got a stream of hate mail um, just because some of his products are, are on our site because we, ha we have everything on our site. Um, I can see how, like this is men and women are sending us hate mail. And the other thing that's happening is that I'm pretty sure that more people are signing up for boot camps and services uh, around this. Also, just because of the amount of uh, media attention it's got, and I know that people have been trying out some of the techniques that he's proposed. Two of the kind of disturbing things and things people are most upset about on the internet are the fact that he's got videos where he's shown walking up to girls and putting his hand out and kind of choking them as the first way to start talking to them. And the second one is in, in Japan. He has a seminar. He talks about white men can do whatever they want in Japan. And he has a, some videos showing where he, he's walking up to Japanese girls, grabbing their heads and pulling them down to his cock and yelling Japanese words and, and thinking it's funny. I mean, the context for that is that in Japan, because of the, which he obviously doesn't understand, that there's a culture is that the Japanese women can't respond to something like that. They just socially, in their culture, they can't, do anything about that. I mean, that's why there's a lot of, um, in Japan, they've had problems in the subways, for example, when Japanese rapists and uh, like perverts will uh, come up behind Japanese women in, in, the, in the metro and they will start fondling them. And the Japanese women historically haven't been able to do anything about that because of the social rules and the culture. They just have to stand there and put up with it and they hate it. But because of the way Japanese culture works, that's what they do. And so, you know, he's really abusing that culture and not understanding it. 
when he sees these girls giggling, but actually that's scared giggling. That's what Japanese girls do when they're scared and they're nervous and they don't know what the hell to do. But this has been a, like, a really big thing in the news. What would you say about this type of behavior? Because some, I think some guys find it empowering and attractive and it's just an interesting thing that's going on on the internet and the responses. Yeah, I, it's interesting we were talking about microaggressions and it doesn't sound like there's anything really micro about his approach um, or these behaviors. And I, I guess for me, like it's troubling to think about, you know, our previous conversation was about, you know, being thoughtful and really getting to know people on a deeper level. And then to hear about these types of gimmicks that basically put women in a one down position and really try to manipulate and control them, that's just appalling. And I don't think there's really... If you're looking for a real relationship, that's clearly not the approach that's going to win the day. And I think it, when we talk about values and really getting true about values, if guys sat back and said, what do I really value? Do I value treating women like this? Do I value myself being seen as somebody who could go up to somebody and potentially start a conversation by choking them? Would I want this in my life? Would that be something that would be useful for me? Would my mom approve of this if she saw me doing this? Those are the kinds of questions that I think we should be telling men to think about, not these kind of gimmicky things. If you need to put yourself in that kind of a power position and you think that that's a true to your values, maybe it's time to you know, rethink a few things. Yeah. My actual belief is that the, the videos are so extreme um, that it was kind of obvious that the, the public was going to respond to at some point to these things. And I think it's actually a PR stunt that's been set up by the company in order to drive traffic and it has driven a lot of traffic and, and so on. So I think it's important to say that this has actually been done because it's something sensationalist and that's what gets in the news these days. Um, so in my opinion, that's actually what they were looking for. It's not something real. It's not something you should try out. Um, it's not something that works or is even desirable. Um, it's just really bad advice um, and then really dumb ideas really which um, have got a hell of a lot of PR potential to drive traffic um, in my opinion. Yeah to me if, if the motivation is PR and I'm not obviously I don't know any of this to know it but the idea that we could use sexism or racism or any these types of things where it sends a clear societal message there's also girls and high school boys who are learning about this stuff via social media. And the fact that you can get attention this way is, again, another thing that's basically, what are the values of these companies who, who think that this is the approach to do this? You know, like, would they, at the end of the day, look back and say, I contributed to society in a real positive way by sending this message? For me, the answer would clearly be no. Obviously, everybody has to make up their own mind at the end of the day as they sit there at night and think about who they are as a person and who they want to be as a contributor in society. Yeah. I've given my opinion about it, and uh, it's just one of those kind of events. I think it's just a PR stunt. I'd, if any of the audience out there has other ideas, put them in the comments of the show notes. Like, uh, let's hear what you're thinking about that, if there are other things. But I do know that like there's a small percentage of guys out there who are actually trying this stuff out because they think it's like going to be effective, or it's funny, or um, something like that. But it's I just see it as really kind of detrimental um, in every respect. So... Just want to point that out. Um, in terms of microaggressions in inside relationships, is that something you see? I think it, it does happen quite a bit. And I think one of the interesting things about these microaggressions, it relates back to expectations. And so 
it becomes a little bit cloudy because the it's a fine line to dance. Like, can I say something nice about some, how somebody looks? And that's fine within the relational context. I think people have to be cautious a little bit in a broader society. If I say these kinds of things, what's the impact going to be? What message am I really sending to my female coworkers? If I see them one day and they think they look nice, do I say that? Is that going to give me a sexual harassment suit or is that just me being nice? Um, it means probably something very different within the context of relationship. And so I think as people start to get to know their partners, like it's a lot easier to understand what is going to be a microaggression or seen as a microaggression. When it comes down to it, is, is a microaggression, is it where the girl feels something negative or she feels pressured to be a certain way? Like, how would you describe that? Yeah, so I think it's invalidating of who they are. So like we were talking about looking at their body versus who they really are. So that's sending certain message. But I also think other messages that sometimes guys send like, oh, so I just expected like you'd want to have a family uh, or that you'd want to. It sends that message like you should be this certain way. And versus just asking the question like, well, what are you thinking about in terms of families? Like, you want, like, I mean, that's a good question. That's a good conversation. Right. But to have that pre-expectation of like, oh, of course you, you'll want to stay home and raise the kids. That's a, that's a very different level of uh an expectation that sends the wrong message. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We, we call it kind of qualifying. So uh, a lot of people call it kind of qualifying in, in terms of asking questions to see if someone fits. So there's different ways you can put that. You can make it a very heavy qualification where you're kind of making them jump through your hoop, we say sometimes. In that terms, if you're saying, oh, like, so how many kids do you want? When are you, when are you going to start your family, right? That's It's assuming that that's going to happen. I think at a certain stage of a, a date, like if that's the most important thing to you, and you're looking for a woman who's really interested in that, maybe it's not such a bad thing. And you've already like been talking for a while and it's kind of time to get to the point. Um, then I think it's the end of the world if, if it's kind of like at that point where you want to make a decision where you're going to see her for another date or maybe you just want to, maybe you can phrase it in a better way. Isn't going to upset the girl in some way. Like we always say also that leave the person better than when you first met them. So if we go through life and everyone we meet is walking away a better person, having a better experience, and so on. It can only help us in our own lives as well. So that's like a very important point. So do you think that it's always a bad approach to have a heavier, basically have a more of an assumption that it's going to happen at some stage? Um, even if it is like I like say I'm a huge family guy and I want four kids, and that's huge for me. How would you say that if that's kind of a qualifying thing that in your world would fit in a context where it's not a microaggression, it's not having any negative impact? Yeah, I guess for me. It's like Asking the open-ended question doesn't hurt, right? Like asking the question of like, hey, so have you, are kids in your vision of like your future? And like that, is that part of your narrative moving forward? It gives the person the out of saying, no, it's not really part of my narrative. Or like, yeah, I want four kids. Um, it allows a lot of flexibility there. If you say like, oh, so how many kids do you want? That doesn't allow that flexibility. And so I, I think it's an easy adjustment in terms of language and questions. Just make it broader. You know, don't make the assumption. It's totally fine on a date if you want for a kid to put that out there. Yeah. That is something that, you know, you own what you want. That's not sending the message like, well, you have to be this way too. It's just like, this is what I want. Right, right, right. So there would be more like, you would say like something like, oh, so kids are huge for me. I want about four of them. You know, I'm thinking four. What are your thoughts on it? Right. It's a lot more open. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. What are you putting yourself out there? Which I think also some of the tendency might be where we're insecure, we tend to ask questions rather than put ourselves out there first. 
So some guys might be actually asking these kind of questions where it's it's kind of a insecurity in their heads, you know, in a way, and they're kind of falling. But so they're not doing it on purpose, but just because of the way that their perspective is that all women should have kids or something, they're not really thinking about that some women don't want kids, and maybe this girl in front of her doesn't. So he'll ask her a question, and he's not actually doing it on purpose. He doesn't realize that that could be pushing her into a corner and making conversation more difficult. And often, when you make conversation more difficult, it isn't ideal for dating anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the key thing. It's like. I think most people have committed microaggression at least once or twice or a hundred times. Right. And it's important to know is that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you need to be a better person. I've clearly committed microaggressions in my life. That's part of one of the reasons why I've wanted to study some of this stuff. And I guess for me, it's just that statement like, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. And just thinking about, like you said, how do you make the conversation easier? And uh, your example before about at the club, if somebody stares down to the at a woman's body and she starts to disengage. It's these subtle things that like happen during the conversation that send the message of like, I don't kind of like where this is going. And they may not consciously think that, but it's just like, yeah, this isn't feeling right. I just want to make one point here clear. We're talking about rapport, connection, communicating better with people. When we're talking about attraction sometimes, and uh, I know this is something I'll do, is like, I'll maybe commit things that you would term as a microaggression with a smirk. When I, when I first meet a girl, and but she'll understand that it's kind of like in a joking, cocky way. It's not as serious. And I, I don't know what kind of subjects. I haven't really got a clear example in my head. Um, but, you know, it could be maybe my first question might be to a girl in a kind of joking way. It's like, so how many kids are we going to have? Or you know, something silly like that, right? So obviously it's the same words, but it's not at all the same context. So I just want guys to realize that some of the stuff we've talked about in the past about attraction, where it's more about displaying confidence and joking around a bit and putting these funny frames on things like, are we going to have kids together or like something like that is more of a, it's not, and the girl's going to respond. She'll probably, she's going to get that and she's not going to take it as a microaggression. Right. I have a, here's a more clear example of one. I have a colleague who's a physics professor and she uh, always gets this kind of like, Oh, you're in physics. (laughs) Oh, wow. I didn't basically the message. Oh, I didn't know women did that. So those kinds of reactions are those things that are subtle. Right. You need to watch your watch yourself a little bit. Right, right, right. And verbal tonality and everything. Like, there's a way to say that. But if I met a girl, and I would love it if a girl <laughs> studied physics. I'm really into science and everything. Like, when I first meet her, and if it's in, like, a more playful context, or like at a party or something, I might look at her with a smirk, and I might say, like, really, you're in physics? You know, I, and she'd get that I was joking around, right? Um, so there's just to make sure that the guys are understanding that there's different ways to do it and there's serious and non-serious. Um, so it's more than just the words. It's the whole perspective, the way you're looking at it and, and the way you're thinking about things. So I think the main thing here is how do you think about women? And are you pushing them into boxes or are you just like, oh, there's lots of different types of women and let's see who she is. And something that's been brought up before on this is I think by, by a guy called Rob Judge. He's, he's a dating coach. One of the things he says, and I, I find really helpful, is that he'll be saying, because this is a lot of guys will have anxiety about talking to women. Um, one of the ways he talks about getting over that is that he'll say, like, your mission is to discover the truth about her. Who is she? Is she interesting? Because some guys, because they're anxious, they'll be like, ah, she's probably not interesting. They'll say things to themselves which stop them even talking to her or anything or even exploring that. But a very, very useful frame and which fits with this is be curious, be open, find out who people are because people will surprise you that sometimes you'll see this this person and maybe they don't look that interesting because that day they're not smiling so much or they're not wearing their, their nicest clothes or whatever. You go up and you start talking to them and like all this stuff will start coming out and you're like, wow. And if you're open to life, then it's going to be more interesting that way. 
So I know time is coming along and I know that one other cool thing that you've been up to is uh, looking at um, the effectiveness of relationship education of therapy and how that works. And that's something we haven't spoken about here before. A lot of people go into therapy or, you know, especially when, they're, when their relationships get into trouble, when they got marriages or getting into trouble. And I know you've done some research on that. What kind of things have you been doing there? Yeah, one of our most recent studies is looking at this thing called commitment uncertainty. So like what we've noticed is uh, in couples therapy, a lot of couples come in where at least one partner is thinking about leaving the relationship or wondering should this should we stay or should we go? And the, the key piece for me is as a couples therapist, and this opinion varies widely, but the key is to understand what's the best outcome for this couple. And staying together isn't always the answer. And so my question is, if the goal is to not stay together, how is it that we can help them separate in a good way? Uh, there's a lot of collateral damage that can happen when couples split, especially when there's kids involved. And so there's smart ways to do it, and there's some really destructive ways to do it. And so my goal over part of my career has been to figure out what are the ways that we can teach therapists and help encourage couples at any stage, no matter if they're wanting to leave the relationship or not, that they can come into couples therapy or relationship education and learn good strategies for getting out if they want to get out or learn good strategies to make the relationship better. I think for a long time, the message has been you only go to couples therapy if you want to save the relationship. And that's really bad because there's so many ways that this can work out in a good way. Even for folks who don't have kids to think about like, I want to make sure I end this relationship without ending it angrily or violently or anything else. Like, let's end this in a way that we both feel good walking away. Uh, yeah, and the question is, do you like anything you do in your life, do you want it to be a good experience? Because there's so yeah. many people who've walked away with divorces and stuff, and everyone looks at that as huge. Like, they look at it sour. They kind of regret yeah. the years they spent together, even though there were some good ones. And it doesn't make any sense at all. But that's kind of the status quo, right? Yeah. And so in couples therapy, I think the real question that what we've been looking at is like, how do we make sure that this ends well, regardless of whatever that outcome is, and making sure that it feels more mutually decided you know, among the couple than not. And what we've been finding is that there's some clear ways to help people and help couples navigate this process. And in particular, by looking at what is it that's getting them to be uncertain about moving forward. And really wondering, like, what are those statements and those aspects of the relationship when they're when you're saying, I could be in this relationship tomorrow or not? And what are the other behaviors that you're doing that are fueling that decision to go or not? So for a lot of couples, when they're in the state of uncertainty, they start doing things like hanging out with their friends, but not their partner. They start flirting a little bit more and considering other alternatives versus working on the relationship. And so some of these behaviors make sense because they're really testing, if you will, it, should they say or should they not? And I think that's the piece where we're like, okay, if you're going to want to test and flirt with other people, make a smart decision about that. And maybe that message is saying you shouldn't be in your current relationship if that's really where you want to put your energy. This is great stuff because these are the damaging behaviors that turn relationships sour. When you haven't spoken about it, the uncertainty so one person might be committed and the other one's not feeling so committed is feeling uncertain. They haven't said anything and they start doing this kind of thing. That can be super hurtful um, and it really damages and then it creates this whole negative experience where, and obviously the longer the relationship, the worse it's going to be. But this is really the default because people are scared to talk about things. I think at the end of the day, this is what you're saying. Like, uh, I know like Will Smith, famous celebrity, his approach to it, I know is that they basically started, he started therapy with his wife on kind of day one. He's like, let's work on this from day one. And I think that's a great attitude. 
I'm not sure if everyone has to do it because maybe some people are open communicators and can learn. I try to start every single relationship super open and, and talking about everything. Um, and I think that's a very important starting place. And I think most people are scared to do that, to talk about things. And they don't realize what the collateral damage is down the road, which could be that you have three years afterwards um, that you look back on and you're like, terrible three years, hate this girl, where none of that was necessary and she hates you. Uh, and it's this horrible negative thing in your life, which is going to affect you going forward. I, I see a lot of people also, it affects their perspective going forward about relationships. And it can be even guys who have been studying this stuff for a long time. I've seen it. And it's a real, real shame because sometimes it can take a few years for them to get back to a positive place where they're looking at things, relationships in a positive light and so on. I think what you bring up there is, is, is really important about clarity. I don't know if you what kind of things you've discovered that make are the most important about this. Well, I think the key take home message, I think, for anybody who's in a relationship or going to be in a relationship is once you start feeling like I rather not say this, it's easier if we don't talk about this, that avoidance piece is the secret killer here of the relationship. Because then years can go by. People can be in very happy relationships because they're good friends, they like to do things together, or life is just so busy that they're basically roommates. And they can continue on that way for years, and yet they don't really address the, the emotional void that's in the relationship. And so if you ever feel in a relationship that I can't talk about this, the real answer is yes, you can. And you should, and you should do it pretty soon once you realize that you're avoiding things. Because if you don't, then you're talking about the situation that you're saying, you know, years down the line, bitter, disappointed, and it has a residual effect in following relationships. And so it's not just that you're hurting yourself for this year, for this relationship, you're probably hurting yourself moving forward because you're, you're not learning the skills about how do I communicate my needs in a relationship. And that's important. And people don't do it enough. Yeah. If you want healthy, fulfilling relationships, so this is really relationship skills here. This is essential. This is essential stuff. And it seems right. A good part of it is courage. Courage. Yeah. Just the courage to bring stuff up that might bring up conflict. And uh, sometimes also we're having a good time and we don't want to interrupt that flow. It's a short-term perspective, right? Any relationship that has long-term potential, you have to start thinking on a, a long-term basis towards that. You have to think, what are your expectations? Is this some kind of long-term relationship? Well, you start thinking about long-term. If it's a very short-term thing, maybe you don't have to talk about these things, right? If this is just a hookup, if this is just like a week-long thing, you don't have to talk about these things. You can just have fun and you don't have to talk about them, right? Uh, so there's the context there. What is it a short or long-term? Well, you have to start thinking and working on a short or long-term basis. If it's long-term, you have to have these difficult conversations and have more courage about it. Absolutely. And I, I think that's the key for this longer term. The real relationship skill is you don't have to be skillful at talking about these issues. You just need to be able to put it out there because most people will be able to navigate this conversation without it going downhill too quickly. If you keep it real, like if you actually talk about your true feelings and not get defensive, these conversations will work themselves out. You just need to start them and make sure that it's the right appropriate time for both people to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. So the first few times it's going to feel awkward. Yeah, I tell, <laughs> of course. I tell couples to have like a relationship checkup at least every couple of weeks. And even if there's nothing going on, at least they have the time set aside to say, hey, are we doing okay? Okay, so how do you, is there a practical, like do you suggest them to do that in a specific way? What do you tell them to do? How do you tell them to do that? I, I tell them to have a either a weekly or bi-weekly, depending on their state of the relationship, but a couple's meeting. There's no company out there in the world that I know of that doesn't have a meeting. 
And why? Because it's important for them to be all on the same page. And so even if it's, uh, hey, are we good? Yeah, things are going great. Okay, end of conversation, let's go to dinner and have some fun time. Or, hey, are we good? Well, this thing that happened last week kind of pissed me off. There's that time and it's set aside. For most couples, I'd say, you know, make sure that it's structured to be either a half hour or an hour. Don't make it a marathon meeting um, because it's just too emotionally exhausting. But to have some structured time built in and that can be, and make sure that it's protected from you know, the kids or protected from like, don't do this when you're out to dinner. You know, like have a bit of private time where you can actually get into a real conversation where if somebody starts crying, it's not going to be like, okay, should we leave? Should we go? This is embarrassing. Do it at home and just protect that time. There's some, some great points there. I wonder what you, like, you think about this. This is something that I've been doing for many years and I find works well. And I believe there's uh, scientific evidence uh, for its efficacy. I'll tend to have these conversations after sex. And the reason is I noticed some scientific research that says we're, we're more open, uh, we're less defensive. Uh, you brought up defensiveness. Um, and I found defensiveness to be a big issue, having these kind of discussions. So I found after sex, like there's some research to say that we're less defensive after having sex with each other, being more intimate, basically. Uh, so I'll tend to wait until that kind of moment if I've got some stuff to talk about uh, or like I want to bring these topics up. And I find it works much better than because we're both. It's also helpful because you're in each other's arms and you're closer. And if anything does go on, if it does bring up some emotions and stuff where you can just hug each other, it can hug the girl a bit tighter. And like it's easier to kind of bridge that gap to comfort her, like make her feel better in that conversation. Or even if she gets angry, you know, you can just hold her tight and say, hey, calm down. It's, it's cool. Like, I don't know what you think of that kind of approach. Yeah, you know, I think it, for whatever works for whatever couple and whatever dynamic, the key to me with that, it, it probably depends on the topic that you're bringing up. But if it works for you, then it works for you. Um, my only worry is that it would be, depending on how often that actually happens, it may start to be a conditioning situation where the person's expecting difficult conversations <laughs> after sex and like ah right and then yeah i never thought of this uh, yeah but i definitely don't mean every time i mean <laughs> ideally you're having sex five times per week and this happens once every two weeks like i would kind of put it down like that yeah yeah or once a month depending on the relationship you know some relationships are more complicated than others well this has been an excellent chat what i like is you've done this science and you also do, got this clinical perspective um so you've actually you know been in the field practicing this and helping people improve their lives um a couple of questions we always round off with who besides yourself would you recommend for really good quality advice in this area of life, dating, sex, or relationships? Um, I would probably say that's a good question. One of the great thinkers to me is uh, this guy named Scott Stanley. He is just a phenomenal thinker about relationships. And he does a lot of the science as well. And he comes at it from a very, very different perspective. But he has a lot of the same similar beliefs. But he also has a... He's older than I am, but not that that matters, but he has a, the ability to see past, um, to see different generations and different views. So he's a great guy. Okay. So why is that? Because like for the readers at home, oh, sure. what, what is different about his perspective? Um, he actually comes at things at times with a little bit more of a conservative view. And I think sometimes when we start talking about relationships, sex and dating, there's a somewhat of a liberal bias in some of the things that we end up saying and suggesting and I think he gives a good counterbalance to, to sometimes that, I mean, I don't know where exactly he's on the spectrum, but he's definitely a little bit more conservative than I am, for instance. And so he'll get you, he always gets me to question things. We were having a conversation one day about, 
is breaking up really a good thing? And should we really be te- should we test this a little bit better? Are the effects on kids for breaking up good or not? Like, and so really challenging the notion of like, well, maybe this isn't a good thing. Maybe we really should be encouraging couples to stay together and work it out. And it just gets me to think in a different way. Like, well, I don't think I'd want to have somebody encourage me to do that. But, but it is a good question to, as a policy type thing for the nation. Like, should we really be thinking about different policies that should be implemented that influence divorce proceedings or anything else? Those are... Those are big ticket questions. Right. I, I agree with you. We need more people who go against the grain, have different perspectives and test those. Because, you know, most mostly what happens in society when we're going right down the wrong path, it's because everyone kind of starts walking the same path and we don't test those other areas. And we see this in all ter- types of research, you know, like food, nutrition, diets is like one of the biggest areas where they're always like kind of kind of finding out, oh, like we've been wrong for a, like, a, you know, a decade because we, we were walking around the wrong, wrong path. And I think, you know, the biggest revolutions you see is because some guy or some woman, for that for that matter, scientists like will will be like really arrogant and go against the grain for years and not be rewarded for it, and eventually manage to like like persuade people going the other way. So it takes a lot of courage to go against the grain, but it often leads to some kind of revolution. Um, of course, not all the time, but it, you know I think some people have to do that. Otherwise, we'd never progress. All right. So uh, the last question is: What would be your top three recommendations to help men in a practical way get results as fast as possible with women, so improve their lives in this area? And I'm thinking like things like what have been the most surprising things from you, maybe from research uh, or your work that have you found that were helpful for men in their relationships, or the most practical things that you found that work consistently? Yeah, I think consistent with the themes today. Not a big surprise, but I think getting in touch with your values, knowing yourself before you start the dating process is key. Obviously, you're never going to fully, fully know everything, but you know, really reflect on those pieces about yourself. So what values are true to you? What values are most important? I think the second piece of advice I would give is be curious. Have questions. Just come at a dating situation or any kind of approach with people in a humble but curious way. I think the idea of like listening to other people is really attractive and it will get you more connected on a deeper level with people than just sitting there talking about yourself. Um, And then third, I would say, make sure you have a passion in life. If you hate your job, you hate this, you hate that, and you're just giving off that vibe of negativity, that is so, well, it's not good for your well-being, but it's also not good for relationships. It's not good for dating. If you have a passion in your life, do it and be excited about it. And that's, infectious. Those are some great, very concise points. I don't know if you prepared those, but they're very well thought out. And definitely like that last point, whatever's inside is going to eventually come out as well. And it's going to affect all the outside. So you have to get that bit right. And your passion is, is a it's an important thing. You have to be a funning life and, and following that. So thank you, Jesse, so much for your time today. It's been a really interesting discussion, very broad. And like I said, you bring a great perspective from like the both practical and the research elements. So it's been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I love this. This is great. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait. Do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at DatingSkillsReview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.